as a little, hey, you're awesome. So, so we thought, what guy doesn't like, like beef jerky? So when you leave today, dads, you get beef jerky, all right? So just kind of, come on, uh, uh, all right? Yeah, there you go. All right, if you're, if you're not a dad, don't act like your dad just to take a piece of beef jerky because it's just for dads, all right? Okay, cool. Um, you know, one of the things we're, we're uh, I'm Pastor Troy. If you're here for the very first time, we're great, glad that you're here. Uh, we think that uh, God has a great plan for your life. We really believe that. Um, you know, I've, I was praying. I, I, I pray um, every once in a while. Just that's what I do. And uh, as I was praying for today, I was thinking a lot of times we come to a church service and we think that we're the ones pursuing God. And there's a scripture that tells us that we're supposed to seek after him with all of our hearts and, and, and go after him. There, there's part of that, that that's there. But there's a greater truth, and here's the greater truth. The greater truth is that today, you might not know it, but God's actually pursuing you. God's actually going after you. He's, he might have actually orca- organized and, and, and set up this whole moment today so that you might meet him. And there's something about God that I think all of us need to understand, and it's this, is that God longs for a relationship with you. He longs for it. Not as a, as a weak and, and, and wimpy kind of longing, like, oh, I'd like that. It's more of a deep-seated love that says, I really want to be close to what I've created for me. And, and so I, I just want to let you know that. You, you might think you're here today because you're pursuing God, and I hope that's part of it. But there might be a greater truth here that's happening, and that God's actually pursuing you. And, and so hopefully that, those two things kind of collide and make happen. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. i got a lot of stuff I want to cover today. Lord, I ask that uh, you would open all of our eyes to the truth of who you are and what you want to do in our lives. Lord, I pray that we would see things so clearly. Lord, that things would change in, in our own perspectives, in our own hearts, that, God, we would know that you are really going after us and coming after us. Lord, may today as we talk about this this idea of being not a fan, that, Lord, you would stir in us, Lord, a desire to run after you. Lord, let it be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome again. Uh, You know, we're week three in the series. I'm I'm sporting a shirt, the not a fan shirt. You're like, well, where where do I get one? Byron, a little bit later on, we'll talk about how you can pick one up. We're we're trying to put together a, a not a fan blackout Sunday in July. So hopefully you can be a part of that, and, and it would be kind of a cool thing to do. Um, so here's what's happening. We're exploring this idea or, or this thought together of what's the difference between being a fan, which is just an admirer, or somebody, you know, an enthusiastic admirer, you know, rah, rah, go team. What's the difference between being a fan of Jesus and actually being a follower, which means I'm a completely committed person. In other words, I'm all in. And we've talked about it. I encourage you, if you haven't listened to the, to the or wasn't, you weren't here for the first two weeks, to go online at our website and listen to the first two weeks. I think it'll help you kind of put it all in perspective. But, but so we're talking about this. What's it mean? You know, and one of the big ideas that we're, we're kind of throwing out here is that we need to go through the process of defining the relationship. In other words, we've got to slow down long enough to just ask ourselves, what is it? What, what is my relationship with God? Where do I stand? Am I casual? Am I committed? Am I in? Am I out? I mean, wh- how do I stand in relationship to Christ and begin to ask the question? And here's what I realized that as we were in our, our small group this last week talking about not a fan in our small group's life group setting, 
I realize that a lot of us, we just haven't ever had the conversation. We, it's just not something we talk about. It, it, this is not one of the things that you just naturally say, hey, let's talk about, are you a fan or a follower? And so when you start talking about it, 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 it kind of stirs some things in you, which I think is okay, all right? I think it's okay that God would begin to do that. Now, here's, here's a simple point. It's easy to get lost along the way. And it's easy to get lost, because, and here's why. Because everybody has an opinion about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Everybody has an idea. Well, that's to me, this is what it means to follow Jesus. When actually, we probably should be asking Jesus what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But everybody has this idea, and it's kind of like directions to a certain destination, but everybody's giving you different directions. Everybody's giving you a different idea, a different picture of what that means. And it's easy to get lost because the directions aren't really a clear picture or idea of where we need to end up. So check out this little video before we jump in today. It kind of helps understand, help us understand that. There's a popular magazine for hikers called Trail Magazine. In their February 2004 issue, they published directions on how to get down from Britain's highest peak. Returning from 4,409 feet requires explicit and detailed directions, especially in bad weather. But if you were to actually follow the directions, they would take you right off the edge of a cliff and into a thousand foot drop. At next intersection, turn right. Imagine traveling along, feeling secure and confident, not knowing that the directions in your hand, if actually followed, would lead to your destruction. The truth is, on this trail called life, all of us are following someone's directions. None of us are really blazing our own trail. We all follow a path that has been laid out for us by someone claiming to know the way. The question is, whose directions are you following? What path are you on? So it's all about finding the, the right directions. You know, uh, this last week, uh, Jennifer and I, we went over to uh, Lincoln, her sister that is from California was in town, and she, she, she's a great lady, she's very intense, I mean, you know, I, I really like her, and, and she's getting ready to go and see her brother who lives out in middle of the state, Nebraska, kind of little town, and she's got a rental car, and she's got, you know, the GPS, the Garmin thing, and, and she's kind of running behind, and she's doing all this kind of stuff, and she goes running out to get her in a car and, and push the buttons to find out which way to go, and then she comes running back in, and she goes, it's in Spanish! <laughs> you're like, what's in Spanish? And she's like, the, the, this thing, how, I can't do this, I mean, it, it, it talks, it talks in Spanish, it does, everything's in Spanish. It's like, I can't do this, so we're, we're trying to figure out how to even get it to English, and then finally, we've, we, you know, after about 20 minutes and, and, and heated debates about which button not to push and which two buttons, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Finally, we get it and put in the coordinates, and the voice comes on and said, hello, where would you like to go? You know, that kind of thing. Like, okay. It was getting it in the right language. And so hopefully today we can get some clear direction on what, a what the difference is between a fan and a follower is. Now, here's what happens. We get confused about a couple of things. I don't think I put these in your notes today, but let me just throw them out so we can kind of get this conversation started. First of all, we get confused about 
intimacy because we, we confuse proximity with intimacy. In other words, this whole idea today, we're talking about choosing intimacy. We, we confuse that. We think because we're in a geographic location or near somebody, then all of a sudden, because of the nearness, the closeness, the proximity of it, it automatically equals relationship. Kind of works out this way. Maybe you remember this back in the days of junior high. Anybody remember junior high? It's okay. It's okay. I know you're trying to block some things out, but it's okay. But junior high, you know, you'd get in a seat and you'd sit down. As a boy, I remember doing this. You'd sit down next to the really pretty girl in the class, and all of a sudden you felt like you had a relationship with her because you were sitting close to her. She didn't even know your name. <laughs> but you confused proximity <laughs> with intimacy. And, so, and what happens a lot of times when we thought, start thinking about this idea of God and our relationship, we confuse those, thi- confuse those things. And here's kind of how it works. Being in the same room with someone does not mean that you're in relationship with someone. That it just doesn't mean that. Just because you're sitting to the person next to you today doesn't mean that you automatically have a deep, meaningful relationship with them. You might, but it's not a guarantee. Proximity cannot and does not always equal intimacy. Second thing is this, is, and this is where we get confused with our directions, is we try to substitute knowledge for intimacy. Because I know about somebody, it's intimacy, or it's a relationship. I know about Kevin Durant on the Oklahoma City Thunder. I've been watching the, the playoffs, so I like that. I, I don't know him, but I know about him, you know. I know he's like the man, and he can do all kinds of crazy stuff, and he's really young and really rich. I mean, I know all these kind of things about him, but I don't know him. And so what we do many times is we try to substitute knowledge for intimacy, and here's, here's the point, is that knowing about someone is not the same as knowing someone. It's not the same thing. Just because I know about a certain individual because I maybe Googled their name or maybe they're on my Facebook page and I've been watching them or stalking them, depending on what you call that, <laughs> and, and just because I know that doesn't mean that I know them. And a lot of times what we do is we try to confuse or we, try, we, we confuse knowledge for intimacy. So today I want to look for, for several minutes of story, I, I, and, and here's how this kind of happened. As I was reading through this text of Scripture that we're going to look at today, and it's a bigger story, but I think the whole thing is important, is I realized that there's two different people on two different paths in the middle of interacting with Jesus. And that's what we're going to read today. All of a sudden, we have this story of people just like you, just like me, that are interacting with with Jesus, the God in the flesh. I mean, he steps into humanity, and he interacts with people just like you and me. And so when we read stories like this, it's not just some far-off story about somebody else. It's just like he's sitting here, and he's trying to interact with us, and he's trying to help us to decide or understand the, the difference, excuse me, between being a fan and a follower. There's two different paths. So let's just jump into it. There's all kinds of stuff, and hopefully we can learn something. Luke chapter 7, Jesus interacting with two people. First, it starts off, one of the Pharisees, and a Pharisee is basically just a religious leader. One of the Pharisees, a religious leader, asked Jesus to have dinner with him. In other words, he, he wanted to have an audience with him. He, he wanted to have some time with him. He, he wanted to get to know him better. 
you know, and it was curious. I mean, there's all kinds of things, but let's read on. So Jesus went into his, went to his home and sat down to eat. And you got to get the picture here. here. Here's what's going on. Back in that day, if you came over to somebody's house, it wasn't that you walked in the front door, you shut the front door, and you went into a back room, and it was the kitchen or the dining room or whatever. The home was built around a courtyard. And the courtyard, there was typically a table, maybe a shaded couple trees or some shaded areas. And there was a table low to the ground. And people would come and they would kneel or lean up to the table and sit with their feet kind of out around this big table. People could come and go. If you were just a stranger walking down the street, and you'd just come in and just kind of see what's going on. It was just kind of an open deal. And so that was what was happening here. So Jesus, and it says, when a certain immoral woman from that city... No name, just a characteristic. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And usually it was something that they actually wore around their neck. It was, it was a jar full of perfume. And for her, it was part of her job because she would probably use it to entice men in her past. And so she's going through this whole thing of expensive perfume. And then it says, she knelt behind him at his feet weeping her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them and when the pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself you might want to underline that he said to himself i mean he didn't say it out loud he said it to himself if this man were a prophet he would know what kind of woman is touching him she's a sinner and man she is what is he doing See, he wasn't getting it. See, there was something going on here that the fan, the Pharisee, and the follower of the woman, there was this huge difference, and one of them was, was understanding the map. It was understanding the direction, the picture of what was going on. She's a sinner, and then Jesus answered his thoughts. Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. And he goes, go ahead, teacher, because he wanted to learn something. Simon, he re, Simon replied, Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to the one, which is like a, over a year's worth of income, and 50 pieces of silver to another, which was well over a month's worth of income. I mean, it was just these crazy amounts of money. But neither of them could repay him. In other words, it was a debt that they could not take care of. It was something that was bigger and grander than anything they could deal with in, in their own power, their own strength, their own ability. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Didn't say, hey, pay it back later. Didn't say, hey, you know what, we'll just kind of, we'll, we'll, we'll work on this over the next 50 years of your life. You're going to give me X dollars. He just canceled it, wiped it clean. I owed this much, now I owe nothing. All right, so he goes through and he keeps going. And he says, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Who, who do you think got this? Who, who do you think understood what was going on in this moment? And it, so he's asking the question, which one would have said, wow, I've been blessed. I've been given something. And he goes on, and Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus goes, you're not as dumb as I thought you were. He said, that's right. It's right. You, you, you understand the story, the simplicity of the story that I just shared with you. You get that. Do you get what's going on here, though, in, this, in the middle of this situation? And so it goes on, and he says, Then Jesus said, he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman. Look at this woman kneeling here. By that time, man, I mean, I'm sure it's quite the commotion. You've got 
a woman that everybody knew about. Everybody had an idea who she was. They're all murmuring, what's she doing here? What's she doing here? And not only that, she's behind Jesus crying, touching him on his feet with her hair. I mean, it's like, what, what, what is going on? And so Jesus says, now look at this woman kneeling here. She has washed. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust of my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but the, from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet, not in an ugly way, but in an appreciative way. So he goes on, you neglected. It's an interesting phrase. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, he knew her. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. And she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, almost out of, like they still don't get it, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Go in peace. Now there's two things going on here in this story, and, and, and it's interesting because there's two people, two different understandings, two differences, and, and we need to understand the difference. First of all, Simon the Pharisee. See, Simon the Pharisee was all about knowledge. He was all about what he knew. It was all about what he thought in his head. It was all about up here. He was very religious. He was actually, in our day, it would be called, he was a churchgoer. When the church doors were open, he was there. I mean, he had the Bible. He knew the stories. He, he, he knew all the, sing the songs. He didn't need to look at the screen. He knew the words. I mean, all these things were going on because he knew the stuff. He was full of knowledge. He was religious. He had biblical knowledge. He knew the rules. He knew the stories. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He knew all those things. See, Simon invites Jesus into his home, but he did not invite Simon into his heart. Only so far, Jesus. Only so far can you come. Only so far can you come. And the difference at that moment was how far Jesus and Simon interacted. And at that point, it was just knowledge. See, Simon liked the idea of having a reputation as the friend of Jesus. It was just an image. I look like this. Or I hung out with him. Or I did time with him. But it didn't mean anything. See, and, and so Simon was just a fan. And he was missing the point. He was missing the point, and the point was, and Jesus tried to share it with him and say, hey, I, th th let me tell you this story. 500 pieces of silver, 50 pieces of silver, uh, the man forgot, gave him, what's going on here? Hey, how about this woman? I mean, and he didn't get it because he was caught up in this idea that it was all about the knowledge, and he didn't understand forgiveness. And really, the story of Simon is not in what he knew, check this out, but in, not, but in what he did not do. It wasn't that he didn't know because he knew who Jesus was. He, it was in what he didn't do. I mean, Jesus kind of challenged, like, hey, I walked in here. You didn't, you didn't do anything. You, you, you didn't meet me with a kiss. You, you didn't offer to wash my feet. You didn't even call a servant to wash my feet. You didn't do any of these things. Matter of fact, you didn't even give me olive oil and freshen myself up a little bit. Back to, that's what they did. I kind of imagine it's like what Jennifer does every morning. You know, I always smell olive oil in our bathroom. I'm like, what is that? 
There's no olive oil there. I mean, you know, he's like, you didn't even do this. And, and so he didn't give him a kiss. He, he didn't offer to wash his feet. He didn't give him oil. He didn't give Jesus anything. Now, it's the problem. That, I mean, he was right there. I mean, Jesus was in the house. Jesus was at his house. He was part of his home. But somehow there was a disconnect. Somehow it didn't matter that it was right there because there was something missing. There was something missing. So then you flip the, the table and you look at the woman, the certain woman, a certain immoral woman. And, and so the Pharisee was all about the knowledge, but the certain immoral woman was all about gratitude. See, she was the uninvited guest, but God looks for the uninvited. God looks for those, anybody. Matter of fact, he goes to the religious person's house and says, sure, I'll come and hang out with you. I love everybody. I want everyone to come. Remember what we talked about a few weeks? It's everyone. And so he goes in, and so she's uninvited. She was a known sinner. I mean, people had a past history with her. It's like, wait a minute, what's she doing here? She, she's the one that ruined so-and-so's marriage. She's the one that, I can't, what is she doing here? But see, Jesus knew exactly who she was and why she was there. There was something about her. She had this past. She was this prostitute. But instead of it, Jesus turned around and said, shame on you, there's something happening. I mean, I don't know. To me, it's a weird picture because I'm thinking she has to walk up. She's literally standing close enough to Jesus so that when she cries a tear, it falls on its feet. So she's standing right there. I wonder how long she was standing there. I wonder how long she was there before all of a sudden this started happening. I mean, did she just kind of slowly walk in or did she walk in, like, this is where I got to go? Did she slowly kind of edge her way over? I don't know. I mean, I, I think about those things. So she's crying, and the tears are falling on Jesus' feet. And as they're falling on Jesus' feet, his feet are probably dusty, dirty, maybe even muddy. All of a sudden, she realizes his feet aren't clean. And so she bends down, unrolls her hair, and begins to wipe his feet with her tears to wipe them off because of what the other guy should have done. She's doing it. All of a sudden, something's happening. So she's kneeling there. And the tears are dropping down and off her cheek. They're landing on his feet, and, and she's expressing gratitude. My question this day, why? Why? Was it because she knew something about Jesus' teaching? <laughs> what was it? I got an idea. Here's an idea, because nowhere in Scripture do you find the answer to what I'm asking. Why? Why'd she do that? Here's what I think happened. I think in one of the days that Jesus was out and about doing his thing that Jesus did, healing sick and forgiving people and, and restoring lives and doing all the things he did, he, he was walking down a road and there she stood. She tried to look away and he looks at her again. It's like he's looking right through her. Like in that moment, all of a sudden, he knew everything I was, everything I've done, everything I've been a part of. All of a sudden, he's looking right at me, and I know she's, she's trying to get away. She's, he's looking at me. And maybe he did it with his eyes. Maybe he did it with his mouth, but he said, I love you. I love you. I forgive you. You're not as bad as what you think you are. You've got... 
You've got things in your life that you are planning for that you're missing out. I mean, you share. All of a sudden, and somehow, that moment captured her heart. It captured her soul. It captured the very person that she was. She couldn't get away from whatever that moment was. It changed the very nature of who she was. She used to be this prostitute. She used to be this immoral certain person. But Jesus, somehow Jesus, when he seen me, when he touched me, when he talked to me, when he spoke to me, when he hugged me, maybe it went that far, I don't know. But Jesus changed her life. And he looked at her. I love you. And see, somewhere in this room, God's looking at you right now. He's going, I love you. I love you. You're not as bad as you think you are. I love you. Not that you think he's, you're worthy of something, but he said, hey, uh, that's why I'm here. Somehow something was happening, and, and so the why of that comes alive, and all of a sudden you realize that this woman had a life-changing experience that transformed her from this life of shame to this life of gratitude. That somehow she wasn't the same woman that she used to be, even though maybe she lived a lifetime of doing what she had done, even though she had been a part of all kinds of ugly, stupid, crazy stuff that was so opposite of God. Now she knew, that's not who I am. I'm a different person, and it's all because of this one man, and he's right there. And she stands behind him and begins to weep. And the tears fall and land on his feet. She wipes him with her hair. She grabs a hold of the perfume, which, by the way, meant her life savings, and begins to pour it out over him. She anoints him with her life savings. So what Simon didn't give, she gave in abundance. What Simon didn't give anything, he was just the fan. She was the follower that says, here it is, God, I, I give you everything. I give you everything. And really what she did, she gave him a kiss, which symbolized affection. She was overwhelmed and honored to be part of his life. Foot washing symbolizes submission. She, she says, I'm available for you. Whatever your needs are, Jesus, they're my needs. If your feet are dirty, I'm going to clean them. If your feet, I, wherever you go, I'm going to go. Your needs are my needs. Because foot washing symbolizes submission. And the last one is when she gave her perfume, it symbolized that she recognized something. It was recognition. I recognize the value of a relationship and everything I have, everything I have, Jesus, is yours. I don't need my expensive perfume. I don't, I don't need anything else. I don't need all that, all that stuff. It, it doesn't matter anymore. Matter of fact, I'm pouring it out on you. I'm giving it to you. It's all yours. No more. It doesn't matter. I'm recognizing that our relationship it's the most important relationship, and I'm giving you everything. I'm willing to sacrifice just the opposite of Simon, who was wanting to be with Jesus with no sacrifice. All of a sudden, we got these differences. These differences of what's going on. This is it. This is it. The difference between a fan and a follower is one just wants the knowledge, and the other one understands gratitude. The other one, other one understands something big is happening here, and I'm in the middle of it. So, let me kind of try to condense my five-page message into three minutes or more. Let me, let me talk about intimacy for just a couple minutes, all right? Let me, let me just kind of shift gears. I'm going to come back to the story. So, intimacy. You, you guys have all, all been around this, I'm sure. You know, the baby. You know, what are babies really good at? 
Anybody? Wow. All right. He's really good at crying. Every, a lot, most of us, we've been in the situation where maybe you're with a bunch of friends or you're bu- a bunch of family, and maybe there's a couple little ones around, and all of a sudden the baby is just going off. Wah, wah, you know, and everybody, somebody, somebody, you know, and, you know, and this is what happens usually. Then everybody starts doing the hot to potato thing. You know, here, you take them. No, you take them. You know, you know, they're all bouncing around trying to get it. Nobody can do anything, right? I mean, it's just craziness. They hand them to me. I, I freak out, pass out, fall on the ground. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so, I mean, they just know I'm scared. I'm scared to death. I, I, I freak out. They feel the tension. It's like a horse that knows that the rider shouldn't be there. You know, it's kind of. And so all of a sudden, this is going on. The baby's screaming, and everybody's nervous, and the tension's high. And all of a sudden, it happens. She walks in the door. The baby whisperer. <laughs> you know who it is? Mom. <laughs> What are you guys doing? You idiots, give me the baby. <laughs> Takes the baby within seconds. Sound like a turtle dove. <laughs> <laughs> baby's happy. Baby's cool. Baby's going on. Why? Why? What happened there? I mean, all these people bouncing, jumping, doing all these kind of things. All of a sudden, the mom grabs the baby, whisper, grabs all the baby, and calm. It's because they knew each other. There was something that came out of that relationship that was already there. It was, it was connected. They, it, the, the baby knew, this is my mom, and the mom knew, this is my baby, and this, it just happens. I mean, they, they can do that. You know, it, you know the mom kind of comes in, and this is kind of weird, too, this little side note. Mom, mom will be in the other room, baby whisper, hear the cry. She needs her pants changed. I don't know how they do it. If they're really good baby whispers, they go, shh, shh. She needs her pants changed, and Dad's supposed to do it. <laughs> That's my only dad mark today right there, so take it. All right. So this idea of, of being known, and, and so here's three steps real quickly. Re- three steps. Three steps to being a follower, all right? The first one is, and these all come right out of our story today. first one is simply this. Realize this. You've got to realize this. You've got to get this. Realize that God already knows you. Completely Deeply, intimately, God's part of the equation is already done. He knows you. Some of you he doesn't know me. No, he knows you. See, this one always blows me away about God, that God already knows you. I mean, he knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He still digs you. I mean, everything that you think God can't see, every secret you think he doesn't know anything about, he does. He knows you. So that side of this idea that God already knows you. Matter of fact, it said in our text, that he's, the Pharisee, the fan, he started to think to himself, man, this guy's kind of weird. He's hanging out with sinners. And Jesus' response to his what? His thoughts. He knew exactly who he was. He knew where he was at. Matter of fact, when she walked in, he knew exactly who she was. God already knows exactly who you are. So the first step is realizing that. Let me kind of break it down this way. The best biblical word for intimacy in the Bible is the word know. It, it, it was first used in the context of relationship in Genesis 4. Adam knew his wife in the King James Version. The he, it's the Hebrew word for know is the word yada. Maybe you've heard this before, yada, yada, yada. In that context, it's usually about sex. That's one little part of yada. 
And so the definition for yada is simply this, to know and be known completely. To, be know, to know and to be known completely. And it means to know by experience, to know by involvement. This is more than that yada yada moment. It is more than a physical encounter. It is an intimate connecting on every level. Matter of fact, the Hebrew scholars call it a mingling of the soul. It's a mingling of the soul. So God already knows me, but yet he wants yada. God wants to be known as well. He wants this interactive experience, this involvement that we're supposed to have with God. It's to know and to be known. I I thought about, well, how can I illustrate this? And I thought about it this way. Jennifer loves ice cream. She does. So we were out with some friends a couple weeks ago, and we're having ice cream. We were dished up out of a big tub of ice cream, some very delicious, I think it was chocolate chip or something like that. It was, it was amazing. And there's a difference between Jennifer and I when it comes to ice cream. See, in our bowls, they were equal. There was about, I would say, about six ounces each, perfectly equal. She gets her bowl, I get my bowl, and we're enjoying hanging out and talking. I like to eat ice cream like this. You kind of scoop kind of a big bite on it, put it in your mouth, and just savor it. Man, that's a good bite ice cream. And then do it again. I like to enjoy the moment. Jennifer, on the other hand, she somehow inhales it. I don't, it's like a, I mean, I just, I just got done with the one spoon. I'm going for a two. And I'm looking over, and her bowl's almost empty already. I'm like, what, how does that happen? If I did that, I would have had a brain freeze, died, and had to call 911. I mean, something's happening here. Oh, you're going baby whisper. <laughs> but she goes through this, so this is what happened. I'm eating my bowl, slowly enjoying it. She's already eat her, eat her, eating her bowl, and it's gone. And I can hear it. You know, you know the sound, the spoon scraping the bottom of the bowl. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. We're not talking. We're talking with this other couple. I mean, it's conversation. Things are going on, and we're interacting. All of a sudden, kind of out of the corner of my eye, I catch a glance from Jennifer. And I just looked over at her and I said, no. (laughs) She wanted my ice cream. And I knew it by not even having to hear a word, look at her eyes or anything. I could just know that's what she wanted. Right there, we had a yada moment around ice cream. (laughs) No sex, just yada right there. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Well, hang on there. It was a joke. It's okay. So so that's the illustration. So here's the point. The point is this, and and I need to wrap this up. The word yada is used throughout the Old Testament to describe. It's actually in there a thousand times. So it's like a pretty big word as far as a thousand times. It's one idea, yada. Yada is used throughout the Old Testament to describe God's intended relationship with us. See, God wants this. God says, I already know you. I want you to know me. I already know you. I want you to know me. I want to have yada, this deep knowing, connecting, complete thing. I want that to happen. And so God, he already knows you, and how he wants to be known to us is this yada idea. Listen to what King David said in Psalm 139. Oh, Lord, and by the way, it's the word yada for every word no. 
You have experienced, uh, you have, excuse me, oh Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I stand, sit down and stand up. You know my thoughts and even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when, I'm, when I rest at home. You know everything, you do, uh, everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. And what David really is saying is, Lord, you already know me and you want me to know you. Which leads us to the second point. First one is realize God already knows you. Second one is I have to respond. I have to make a choice. What I have to make a choice to do, I have to make a choice, just like Simon had to make a choice. Am I going to be one of those that missed the point because it's all about forgiveness? I've got, I have to choose this idea that God is inviting me to a relationship with him, and the pathway to that relationship is forgiveness. The pathway to that relationship is forgiveness. You say, well, I don't know if I want to be forgiven. Well, let me just give you a real quick heads up. Every person in this room is desperately broken, and only Jesus can fix what's desperately broken. Every person in this room. And the only way that I can get there is I respond and I say, okay, God, you, you're the answer. Just like the woman who, who somehow had an inexperience, somehow had that moment, somehow had that, that time where Jesus, she knew, oh, man, I, I need forgiveness. I need to get set free from this shame so I can find some kind of life. I need something different in my life. I have to respond to God's offer to know him. And it's my favorite verse in all of Scripture, Psalm 42.7. It says this, deep calls to deep And what that means is this, you and I, all of us in this room, we have a deep longing in our hearts, and God has a deep longing in heaven that those two things would collide and become one together. Anything else makes me feel unsatisfied. Anything else makes me feel short of where I should be, and I know that, I know that, I know that. And that woman standing there that day knew that she had responded to the deep calling, the deep, and yes, God, I respond to your offer. Yes, God, I'm yours. Yes, God, with affection. Yes, God, it's all you. So responding. The last thing is this. I've got to risk intimacy. Worship team, come. I've got to risk intimacy. What do you mean risk intimacy? Here's here's what I mean. Jesus Jesus was making a point. What happened to the woman in the story was this. She was willing to step into the vulnerable position that says, God, I want relationship with you more than anything else. I want relationship with you more than anything else, and I'm willing to be vulnerable to get there. I'm going to risk it. I'm going to risk being made fun of. I'm going to risk being being the talk of the town. I don't really care. The only thing that really matters is that I stand near and be in relationship with my Jesus. That's all that matters. So you risk intimacy. And see, a lot of us, we struggle this because we we get really good at, at, at avoiding it, don't we? And we miss it. And Jesus is simply saying to us today that a follower is willing to risk being vulnerable. And it doesn't matter what other people think. I want to be in a yada relationship with my God. And so today I have to choose. I have to choose to be risky in this relationship. So, last two thoughts. Simon, the Pharisee, knew a lot about Jesus. Knew a lot about his teachings. Knew, he could have told you the stories. But he was just a fan. He was just a fan. 
You'd think he was the star of the show. He wasn't the star of the show. He was, he missed it. The woman was the star of the show. She got it. Simon, he was, he was just a fan, and he wasn't willing to open his heart up to Jesus. He, he put limits on it. I just want to know about you. I'm, I want to just stay right there. He brought Jesus into his home, but he neglected to allow him into his heart. He wanted to keep things shallow and academic and just define his relationship without any affection, without any submission, without any recognition. I don't want to be a part of that, Jesus. I just want you in my house. Jesus said, you're just a fan. You're just a fan. But this woman, this woman, this woman, she made herself vulnerable. She's totally been willing to open up her heart, open up her life, and say, Jesus, I want to know you like you know me. So the question today, will you embrace the close and intimate relationship that he wants to have with you? Choose intimacy. See, the intimate relationship comes from forgiveness. The yada comes from forgiveness. And only true followers experience it. Here's what Jesus said at the end, and I... I think this is important right now. Jesus said, go, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. All the crazy turmoil that you've had in all of your life is now going to be gone because you have yada. You're connected with me. You, you have something, this Pharisee, he doesn't know anything about it. It's peace. Some of you here today, you get storm after storm after storm in your heart. It's just going and going and going because there's no yada. There's no connection with God. You're just a fan. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How many of you today, you say, Pastor, I'm realizing during this message and during this, this scripture time that I'm, I'm just a fan. But God's tapping me on the shoulder. He's looking into my eyes. He's looking into my life and I realize more than anything, I need to be forgiven and choose intimacy right now. That's me. It's me you're talking to. If that's you, would you just wave your hand at me so I know who I'm praying with? Yeah. All over the room. Lord, I pray for every hand that's been raised today that, Lord, it is a decision to choose intimacy over knowledge or proximity or anything else. It's a decision that says, Lord, I need desperately for you to forgive me of my life. Free me from the shame, Lord, that I might find freedom and peace in you. I want to know you like you already know me. So, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. I surrender, Lord, with affection and submission and recognition. It's all yours. I don't want to be a fan. I want to be a follower. In Jesus' name, amen.